candle has been lit. The drinks have been poured. Welcome to the Horror Salon. I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, tonight is uh, pretty exciting for two reasons. One, mm-hmm. who we're talking about, and two... The Pazoos. Yeah, and Emmett came up with this Pazoos. Finally. I mean, and it really doesn't have anything to do with Anne Rice, but it has to do with a horror icon. So there's that. Um, I have finally been able in Columbus to find Iron City beer. Yes. And if you've been following us, this has been a journey of endemics it has. for a long time. Uh, the place I got it had it forever and I just never bought it and then it went away. Yeah. And they had uh, no plans of getting it back and I was in there today to get for another, uh, an Erie Extra and there it was. One six pack. It was meant to yes, be. Yes, it was endemic. These are for you. And you know what? I have been anti- long anticipating this beer because you have been talking about it for so long. Yeah. Well, and the significance is quite clear. Anybody yeah. who knows me knows I love George Romero. This is a Pittsburgh beer. So it feels local. It feels local. And um, in Dawn of the Dead in particular, mm-hmm. uh, there is a scene where all the rednecks and, and the military mm-hmm. personnel and um, over this really uh, awesome music are hunting the zombies and just having a damn good time about it. And they're all drinking I- Iron City beer. Yes. I don't know what it's going to taste like. I don't remember. I mean, I haven't had one. I know I've had one before, but my God, it's been years and years and years. But I will say it's called the Beer Drinker's Beer. It's a, it's a premium lager. Mm-hmm. And that's all it says. Iron City beer, premium lager. Brewed in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And it's family owned. Yeah, it is. That's great. By Pittsburgh Brewing Company. We but should go. We should we should go. We really should. We could get there. I well, you know what? I don't think I've made you pilgrimage and you're gonna have to. To Monroeville, to Evans City, yeah. to Pittsburgh, and then we'll we'll put this we'll on. We'll do the a stop. whole thing. Yeah. We'll do a whole <gasps> thing. An on location. An on location. Done. Done and done. 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 Alright, so I don't know I don't remember honestly what it's gonna taste like. That's smooth. That's easy. That is an easy beer. I can drink this. This one's not a light. They do an icy light. But this is not a light, but that was smooth. That's good. That's smooth. It's malty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's just good. It, this is like a, it tastes like a quintessential domestic beer. Yeah. Domestic lager. It, it's smooth. Not too, there's really not any bite on it usually uh, in a regular beer i'll find like Meh. yeah i think that this is this is a summer drinker for sure absolutely mm-hmm. and they're not wrong it is the beer drinkers beer yeah it's good it's good take down i recommend six of these and i'm very a weekend yeah, in this Heaven is city this is a outdoor lawn games beer a running from zombies rehydration stop mm-hmm I am excited to drink this Iron City today. Beer. I'm so excited. I finally found Iron City beer. It's insane. And it's good. So you can like buy more of it. That's like you exactly don't have right. to be like, oh, we tried that once and I want to like it, but I don't. It's like, yes. it's good. Legit. I like it. Yeah. Tonight, I should say we're talking about the one and only Anne Rice. Anne Rice. Huge episode. Huge episode. <laughs> but before we launch into that, I have to share. Uh, I have been getting into tv recently okay 
And I go through these waves. I read a lot at some points. I watch a lot of movies. I get in podcasts and then yeah. I get in the TV mode. It's just like waves. Of, and I'm in the TV mode right now. Uh, I have found a, a new show. Uh, this is probably not new to many of you, but it was new to me. Portals to Hell. What? <laughs> Portals to Hell? Portals to Hell. What channel? Uh, I get it on Discovery Plus. I stream it. Oh, uh, I don't know where it originally, it feels like it was one of those like, um, is it Discovery that does like the ghost encounters and all of that? Travel stuff? Channel. Travel does Channel. Does all that stuff. It feels like one of those, so maybe one of those types of channels, but uh, Jack Osborne is one of the hosts. Oh. Yeah. Um, and this really badass um, woman named Kat is another one of the hosts, and they go to all these different haunted locations in the united states that are purported to be portals to hell okay and they basically do paranormal investigations to see if in fact they're portals to hell or if they're just haunted locations Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to get some clarity on what's going on there and it's a really i i started it with no to be honest no expectations whatsoever that's usually when something ends up being pretty decent yeah and i was like oh this is pleasantly surprising Mm -hmm. um there's some gimmicky stuff about it but uh the thing that i like most is i feel like a lot of those kind of ghost shows Mm -hmm. can get how uh, exploitative and yes yeah you know it's enough already yeah. yeah i don't feel that show gets too exploitative which i kind of appreciate and they use a lot of the techniques that we've talked about on the Mm, show mm -hmm. so it's kind of easy to identify with what they're doing and what they're talking about they use that damn spirit box they do use the spirit box yeah wall oh my god did you hear they said whoa yes (laughs) i hate those things they use that but they used a flashlight Oh, they did the flashlight technique? They did technique. the flashlight technique. They do this really interesting one where they use this technology um, where they map out, uh, I don't know how to describe it. You know when they do movies and they're doing like CGI yeah, and they put like sensors on the body and they map out how your body yeah, is isn't moving? Yeah, the green, the green dots mm-hmm. that you're supposed to be able to see things walking through? Yeah. Yeah. And you like, yeah, it's real weird. I've seen um, in a couple of asylums or whatever I've slept in, people, people bring that? Brought those. Yeah. 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 That, that's like feels hardcore techie. <laughs> like, wow, you invested. Mm-hmm. You invested. Yeah, in I mean, this. yeah, some of them do. Some of them go all out. Yeah. Which I mean, cool. Yeah. That's your I mean, hobby. Yeah. You should. Well, and then there are those of us who, I mean, we love it, but we're by no means like grandmasters at doing it. So we can sort of hang back and watch what. Yeah, what like, they're doing and get a show, doing? maybe. Yeah, what are you, you know. Doing? So you provoking that thing and gonna get it to follow you home? Okay, I'm gonna okay, watch you fine. do that. I'm gonna watch you do that while I uh, while I don't link do that. into the shadows. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. No, how about that one? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> wanted to give that a shout out because that's been a fun watch for me recently. Cool, cool. sounds yeah. good. Yeah. So Anne Rice, Anne Rice, um, one of my favorites. Uh, but I will say I I am not familiar with every facet of her work. I sure. mostly uh, love the vampire stuff. Yeah. Uh, the Vampire Chronicles. Um, she is uh, a prolific writer, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a self-proclaimed secu- secular human- humanist. Secular I love that. Humanist. Yeah, yeah secular right? humanist. Yep. Uh, she's a master of the macabre, slayer of gothic fiction, uh, creator, in my opinion, of vampires. Uh, her vampire, to me, is 
is what a vampire is. Mm-hmm. Um, and an icon of horror. Uh, and I didn't want to say, I don't like the whole, I just use master. I didn't, mistress. I don't, it's weird when you say mistress. But I, anyway. I agree. Um, and freaking rice. And rice. I have a confession to make. Yes. I don't know much. You know, and that's rice. okay. And I am excited to do this episode with you because I know that you are a fan mm-hmm. of Anne Rice. And I also did a lot of research more so on her history, obviously, mm-hmm. um, because that's kind of what I've been doing yeah. recently. And it's made me really want to read her stuff. Yeah. I've watched the some of the movies based on her, mm-hmm. but it was so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of want to... I kind of, so I had it in mind that for this episode, I was going to rewatch them, right? Yeah. And then after diving into her history, I was like, no, I'm yeah. not going to rewatch them because I want to read her stuff yeah, first. Yeah, read it first. Because, I mean, sometimes for me, and I know that I, I can hear specifically certain people out there when I say this, mm-hmm. the movies are better than the books for me in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I mean, the books are are 10 times above above the movies. Above the movies. And, and the, uh, well, I say the movie because the second one, The Queen of the Damned, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that? Yeah. But okay. um, anyway, so she she does. She writes vampires. She writes witches, wolves, mm-hmm. mummies. Um, she went through some, um, uh, uh, she kind of did a whole genre shift and talked about Jesus Christ, the historic Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, some erotica mm-hmm. under some pseudonyms. She's written under Anne Rampling and A.N. Rocolaire. I think that's how you say it. Yep. Um, I really just want to talk about the vampires. Yeah. I want you to discover Anne Rice for yourselves. Um, her story is pretty, pretty amazing. And I think she's had a couple of near-death experiences and yeah. just death in her life and triumph. And yeah. her son, Christopher Rice, who is an amazing writer on in his on his, in his own right. Right. Um. But for me, her her vampires are are it. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to hear you talk about them because, yeah, my experience with them has been movies, but Mm -hmm. I don't know that that that's not the quintessential experience. Yeah. So I did a little research on her background. Yeah. Um. So I'd like to share a little bit of just who Anne Rice is. Yeah. And then we can maybe dive into some of the work that she's done. Uh Um. So Anne Rice was born. Howard Allen Francis O'Brien. She was born on October 4th, 1941 in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. Louisiana, which many of her stories are set in New Orleans. So that makes sense because that's where she grew up. Um, She was one of four children Mm -hmm. and her parents were Howard O'Brien and Catherine K. Allen O'Brien. Yeah. So her, her older sister is Alice Borchardt. And she is an author yeah, as well. Right, she is. And she's very well known for fantasy and horror. Mm-hmm. So she she's very literary. And you, as we kind of go through this, you'll learn that Anne Rice is from a very literary <laughs> world. Like yes. everyone in her personal life is literary in some way. Um, her father, Howard... He uh, served in the Navy in World War II. Mm-hmm. He later became a personal executive for the Postal Service. And kind of while he was working, he, he himself authored a book called The Impulsive Imp. And that book was published posthumously, but it is said that it was dedicated to Anne and her sister Alice. Yeah. So that's a really yeah. wonderful thing. Most of, like I said, Anne's young life was spent in New Orleans. 
Did you uh, come across, are you going to talk about why her name is Howard? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> so she lived in New Orleans. Her family lived in the home of her maternal grandmother, yeah. uh, Alice Allen, or they called her lovingly Mama Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mama Allen was kind of seen as this figure where she was the rock of the family. She made sure the day-to-day was really normal for the kids. Yeah. She made sure the family was really well-supported. And that was because Anne's mother, Kay, uh, suffered from alcoholism. So there were a lot of complications due to that. Unfortunately, Mama Allen, she passed away in 1949, but the family was able to stay in her home for a while. And then eventually they did move in within New Orleans, just down the street. And they moved into a property that was owned by their Irish Catholic parish. So... They grew up in a very Irish Catholic household. So they actually moved into a property owned by the by the parish themselves. So kind of getting to your point mm-hmm. on her name. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, her her name was Howard and her father's name was Howard. Yeah. Uh, something that I thought was really interesting is that Anne was interviewed and basically said that she believed her mother named her after her father. Mm -hmm. And she believed that that happened because Howard is a traditionally masculine name. And she thought that her mother felt that if she gave her daughter a traditionally masculine name, her daughter would have this kind of power that was different than anyone else. So that is why she was named Howard. As a young little one, uh, and <laughs> wasn't quite sure about being named Howard. She was a little self conscious of it. Oh yeah. And so she, uh, at I believe they said it was in first grade mm-hmm, when was. she was going to school. A nun asked her what her name was, and she said Anne. Yeah, she liked the name. So <laughs> she liked the noun yeah, Anne, and she liked the name. Yeah. And so the, they said, "Okay, great." Yeah. And her mom Anne. was there and just let it let just it, let it happen. Let it happen. Yeah, let it happen. Didn't say anything about it. Uh, and so from that day on, she was Anne Rice, yeah. and they legally changed her name to Anne in 1947. Yeah. So her name is legally Anne. Rice. I like what she said about her mom. Um, that she was a bit of a bohemian, a mad woman, a genius, um, and a, a great teacher. Um, so Anne grows up in New Orleans, has, you know, a childhood, grows up with the with her family. When she turns 15, um, unfortunately, her mother passes no. away due to complications from alcoholism. And Anne and her sisters are sent to St. Joseph's Academy, which is a boarding school. And Anne detests it (laughs) um i couldn't find much information about her time at saint joseph's um but i did find that Anne absolutely hated this place so um in 1957 her father remarries to dorothy van bever Mm -hmm. and they the the whole family moves from new orleans to northern texas to a town named richardson and this is around the time Anne is 16 Mm -hmm. so while Anne's going to high school there she goes to richardson high school she actually meets her future husband Stan Rice yep. in a journalism class there. Yep. So lovely little like high school sweetheart situation. <laughs> um, eventually after graduation Anne attends the Texas Women's University. She transfers over to the North, North Texas State College for a little bit of time but eventually has to drop out um, due to a lack of funds and she couldn't find a job. Um, so she just couldn't financially keep up with the, with the right. tuition. So right. she moves to San Francisco 
And she moves in with some a family of one of her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and while she's in San Francisco, she finds work as an insurance claims processor, which I think is so funny. Wow. And um, while she's working as an insurance claims processor, she's actually taking night classes at the University of San Francisco. So uh, she's continuing her education. Um, during that time, obviously, she moves to San Francisco, but her family is still in northern Texas. So she's traveling back and forth. And on one particular Easter trip home, um, she rekindles her relationship with Stan Rice. Um, <laughs> and eventually, after some back and forth, they eventually get married in 1961. Yeah, they so. were married for 41 years. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, until he passed away. Until he passes away. Right. So they, they both moved back. Back um, to San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, Stan goes with and back to San Francisco, uh, where she earns her Bachelor's of Arts in Political Science, which I think is awesome. <laughs> and she earns that in 19 is from San Francisco State University in 1964. They, uh, this is just a fun little aside, I guess. But during this time, so she graduates in 1964 with her BA. She continues her studies, which we'll talk about here soon. But during this time, this is the time of kind of the hippie movement and all of that going on. And it's in San Francisco, so it's really prevalent. And Mm -hmm. uh, I love that Anne recognized it. That's great. But she was like, I'm going to stay inside and study. (laughs) So I just just love that about her. Um, She just kept to her writing and kept studying and and went about her business Mm -hmm. while this is happening all around her. Um, Anne and Stan eventually have a daughter named Michelle, who they lovingly call Mouse, mm-hmm. in 1966. And then a little later, she uh, Anne earns her Master of Arts in Creative Writing at San Francisco State University in 1972. So continues on with those studies. Um, I wanted to say a little bit about Stan Rice himself as well, because he was pretty prolific in his own right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he was a poet. Um, He was also the chair of the Department of Creative Writing at San Francisco State University for a really long time. He eventually retired in 1988. But he, uh, he actually earned an Edgar Allan Poe Award for his poetry in 1977. Really? Yeah. I and did not he, know that. And he was a pretty prolific painter as well. So he was a very creative man. Um, and I thought he deserved a little bit of a shout out yeah, there for too. Sure. So um, really heartbreakingly, Mouse, the daughter of Anne and Stan Rice, um, dies at an early age. I think she was about five years old yeah. when she dies. And she dies of complications due to leukemia. Anne actually has spoken out about this and says that she, before Mouse passes, had lots of dreams about Mouse being really sick and dying from Mm -hmm. a blood disease. Wow. Yeah, before she even passed. So that's really interesting that this woman who we call a master of the macabre Mm -hmm. and so prolific in the horror genre Mm -hmm. also has kind of these... um, tendencies mm-hmm. these supernatural tendencies that's not necessarily surprising but yeah. it's it's just interesting to know um and and stan have a son named christopher they have uh he's born in 1978 and as andemic mentioned uh christopher himself is a best-selling author mm-hmm. so again that literary gene yeah. gene is, is the gene the gene <laughs> the literary gene. gene is continuing on in the family um kind of just Anne's writing um, 
she starts her journey into right obviously she has her degree in creative writing but she kind of starts her journey into publishing her writing in 1973 Mm -hmm. um she's still grieving mouse's loss at this point and she has this short story that she decides she's going to turn into a book and that little book is called interview with the vampire all right so let's stop there and back up just a little bit sure talk to kind of go into a couple other things before we um go talk about interview with a vampire yeah um and just kind of fast forward to this the prolific author um she sold over 150 million copies of her books worldwide um which makes her one of the best-selling authors of all time um movies comics graphic novels manga Mm -hmm. anime yep um her influences include you know hemingway shakespeare the bronte sisters which i thought was cool yeah uh virginia wolf a lot of others but also stephen king yes um she says she returns to stephen king's firestarter when she mm. needs inspiration. Mm-hmm. She says it helps her get going when she's got some writer's block. Which I, I love thought was kind of cool. I love that. Um, one icon leaning on another. Yeah, I love that. So um, one thing that I found particularly interesting, and, and maybe maybe back when I was reading it, this resonated with me in some way, but her novels are popular with uh, a lot of the LGBTQ mm-hmm. plus community. Yeah. Um, her vampires are often seen as an allegory an allegorical symbol of isolation mm-hmm. uh, and of social alienation, which, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can completely, you know, I can completely see that. Yeah. Um, there was a, a reviewer for the Boston Globe who observed that the vampires represent, okay, I'm going to quote here, the walking alienated, those of us who, by choice or not, dwell on the fringe. And then Anne Rice herself has said that from the beginning I've had gay fans and gay readers who felt that my work involved a sustained gay allegory. Uh, I didn't set out to do that, but that was what they perceived. So even when Christopher, her son, was a little baby, uh, I had gay readers and gay friends and knew gay people and lived in the Castro District of San Francisco, which was a gay neighborhood. So rock on to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, She's also... Her her writing about vampires, she has had a major impact on the development of vampire fiction. Yeah. Um, she, she b- b- hers are so much better. Hers are so much better. I wish people would not have strayed from how she does it. You know, but I understand creativity, blah, blah, blah. Um, Anne Rice identifies with the vampires instead of the victims. Mm-hmm. That was, that was something new. Yeah. And, um... And from what I read, I don't know if you saw this, that was almost what, um, I don't want to say got her in trouble at at the beginning, but that's why a lot of her work in the beginning wasn't well received. Right. Because she was sympathizing with what was typically perceived to be the villain. Yes. And there was a lot of weird connotation to that because of what you were just talking about, mm-hmm. the villain being a so- villain, I put that in quotes. Sure. But the vampire being associated with LGBTQ plus. Right. And then there was a lot of um just animosity there mm-hmm. with like the critics in the time the mm-hmm. time period and a lot of homophobia. Of and, course. Um so I just thought that was really interesting is like because she was chart- in uncharted territory yeah. and she was sympathizing with the outsider, she was 
bad. She was bad. Yeah. <laughs> we must ban her. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So then we, we come up to um, to her grieving the loss of her daughter. Exactly. And writing this short story. Right. Um, and anybody who has read Interview with, Vamp- uh, Interview with the Vampire um, will know the name Claudia, the, mm-hmm. the five-year-old who eventually is turned into a vampire. Right. Was, was inspired by by the death of her daughter by michelle mouse um mm-hmm. by mouse yes um i this was something i didn't know that rice based her she didn't do a lot of research apparently but she based her vampire vampires on a character that gloria holden played yeah dracula's daughter i thought that was so interesting yeah um, I haven't seen Dracula's Daughter. Have you? I have, but it's been a long time. Okay, it has been a long time. And I, I after I read that, I want I need to go back and watch it again. Yeah, but um, to her, this this what this what how she portrayed the vampire resonated with her. She she sees them as elegant and tragic, mm-hmm. um, and sensitive. Mm-hmm. They're loquacious. Yes. Um. So that's just I don't know. That's why they resonate with me so much. They're just. They're just, uh, what am I even trying to say? I don't know. They're they're sensual beings and complex. Yeah. They're not just this this bloodthirsty monster. No, they're us. Yes, yes. Um, the other thing that I was uh, really fascinated by was the fact that she did all of that, mm-hmm. like accomplished everything you just said in five weeks. <laughs> That's how long yeah. it took her. <laughs> That's how long it took yeah. her to write interview with the wow. vampire. Uh, five weeks. What? Unbelievable. Um, the other thing that I really appreciate and wanted, because as I said, as I said at the beginning, I'm not super well acquainted with Anne Rice, so I'm interested to hear your take on mm-hmm. some of these stories. But one of the things that I've read about her work and what has intrigued me so much is that the horror itself seems to come from a very, like you said, human fear. Uh, it's a battle within. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like the vampires fight with humans that much. They fight amongst one another amongst one another and with themselves, with themselves. that's louis yeah yeah and i think that's a very human thing yeah i think so too one thing about her vampires that i love too is that they they are a product of all the ages mm-hmm. whereas some of the 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 other adaptations of vampires and i don't mean to i don't mean to take a shit on twilight i don't sure i mean they just seem so shallow sure uh, even though they've lived for hundreds of years they seem shallow right and not at all wise yeah whereas her van- i mean there are some things that come out of lestat's mouth that i'm like i can't wrap my head around <laughs> like, what did you <laughs> like, say what but they they are wise they're they're thoughtful beings yeah um they're they consider yeah you know but but they're also flawed they do they they fight amongst themselves they you know um they do horrible things, right. you know. They are, yeah, they are, they are us. They're us. Only immortal and way faster. So, did you you read Interview with the Vampire? Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to dig into that with you. Do you want to dig into that now, or do you want me to continue no, a little it. with her history? Let's, let's do it. Let's uh, let's do Interview it. with the yeah, Vampire. Yeah. Go. Yeah, because I don't. <laughs> I know nothing about this story. That's about the extent of what I know. About okay. The story. Well, and I'm not going to give too much away. Yes, I know. 
probably a lot of people who, if you want to read it, you have by now, mm-hmm. but I'm still not going to give a lot away. So, um, basically it is the story, uh, Louis Dupont du Lac mm-hmm. um, tells his story. He's been around for a couple hundred years to uh, a reporter, and who who the the interviewer they call the boy, and um, so he recounts his life on on the plantation in New Orleans, and the the extreme grief that he was feeling over the loss of his brother. Okay, and he begs for death. He he wants to die. He just thinks about that all the time, and. Turns out that a vampire was listening, and that vampire was uh, Lestat de Lioncourt. Mm-hmm. And Lestat is he he's the constant in most of of the Vampire Chronicles. Lestat is he's pretty amazing. Um, which I believe also she has said Lestat uh, was inspired by her husband Stan. Oh, nice. Um, so uh, Lestat answers the call and turns Louis into a vampire, and um, the, the the juxtaposition between the two Lestat is this he's he's seasoned he's been around for hundreds of years a couple hundred years he's brazen and rogue he's a killer mm-hmm. um and Louis on the other hand has this lingering love uh, or appreciation for life compassion for life mm-hmm. and he's finding the notion of feeding on human life and taking human life absolutely repugnant and tries to survive on animals um so and eventually, just over time, Louis starts to come around to the the way of life, and um, but he is he's always he and Lestat just fight constantly, basically, because he's he's always um, he's always just pissed about his about Lestat's lack of compassion. I gotcha. Um, so cut ahead a little bit. Um, Louis is starting have he starts to have feelings that he wants to leave Lestat and go mm-hmm. see what else is out there, mm-hmm. uh, and he happens into a, a, a plague ridden portion of New Orleans, and stumbles up, up, upon this little five year old girl who is kind of laying on the body of her dead mother from her mother died of the plague, yeah. and so he feeds on her, mm. and Lestat catches him and um, he runs away and then. Lestat turns the girl, a five-year-old girl, into um, a vampire because he knows that Louis wants to leave. And he also knows that if he does this, there's no way Louis will leave because he'll stay to take care of her. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, and it turns out Claudia, Claudia is the little girl. That's what they name her. And she is a stone cold killer. (laughs) And, Love that. Yeah. And she takes to it really easily and really well. So this goes on for many, many years. And they're just kind of this happy little family or, you know, this undead little family. Yeah. And she realizes that she's not aging. Oh. And um, I think it's been, what, 60 years and she still looks the same. And so she's pissed. Mm. And she plots to kill Lestat. Mm. And then... Um, the thing is, they'll they'll kill Lestat and then they'll leave. Mm. Um, I don't want to say any more because more but, adventures happen from there. Sure, but that's sure. that's kind of how the, the whole story is set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go on, uh, they go on to you know hunt for their kind, and yeah. they have some some rude awakenings there, and um, they meet some other. They do meet their kind, and it's not as not as amazing as they think it might they be. It and, would be. Um, but it's it's such a good story. Um, How do you feel about the film adaptation? 
I like it. They okay. did, of course, change some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but for my money, and I know people have feelings about Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise was Lestat. Played it well. He played it well. To me, he was Lestat. Brad Pitt was Louis. Um, Claudia, they cast older, but I thought Kirsten Dunst did a really good, good job. job. Mm-hmm. They also cast uh, Armand, who they meet later in uh, Paris. They cast him a lot older. Uh, oh, he really? was, yeah, young. Armand is, was turned young, but they have uh, Antonio Banderas oh, <laughs> playing him. But I, I thought he did a fine job, too. Um, but the movie, to me, really captured the essence of who these vampires were were these tortured souls who um who you look at for wisdom but oftentimes they're like wisdom what do i know you know and uh i've only been around for 200 years but what do i know what if there is no god yeah um but anyway i i really liked it and i know a lot of people did and a lot of people of course didn't but ann rice um she was not happy at first yeah. Um, with the casting of Tom Cruise's Lestat. She's like, no, she wanted another actor named Rudger Hauer. I don't, the, the only thing I really know him from, I know he was a famous, famous actor, but was Blade Runner. Um, he was, had the white hair in Blade mm, Runner. And he was okay. super, super okay. handsome dude. Okay. Um, but then after she, uh, after she saw it, um, she said that Tom did make Lestat work. Um, and, was something that she said, I could not have seen that in a crystal ball. And it's to his credit for proving me wrong. That's what she said. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Great, so, great. Um, so yeah. And here's a little bit of just a tiny ounce of trivia about it. River Phoenix in the movie was initially supposed to play the interviewer. Okay. Um, but he died, you know, he, he mm-hmm. um, and so Christian Slater took on the role. Oh, wow. Um, and, be, uh, they were friends. Christian Slater and River Phoenix were friends, and he donated his whole salary to uh, Earth Save and Earth Trust, which were two charities that were really close to River Phoenix's heart. Oh, great! So I thought that was kind of a neat little touch. That is a neat touch. Uh, but yeah, sure. um, the, her the way she describes, you can tell, you can see her love of these cities. She places these books mm-hmm. in New Orleans, mm-hmm. San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel like you're there. You can all, you can almost smell the city streets, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, yeah, she's very good, but she's not, but she's not overly verbose about it. Right. Right. <laughs> One of the things with interview with the vampire, again, haven't read it, um, and watched the movie so long ago that I would say I'm pretty green yeah. to the whole thing. Sure. Um, but one thing I read in my research that I'd like to get your perspective on about Claudia mm-hmm. is that the Claudia plays this one. She she represents this wonderful, not wonderful, but this issue. <laughs> she represents it wonderfully, I guess is what I meant to say. But she represents this issue of feeling trapped, mm-hmm. um, aging and maturing, but being trapped in this child's body, so yeah. never being taken seriously. Right. And she said, and uh, from what I read, Anne Rice said that so many people identify with that. You know, mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus yeah. can identify with that. Women can identify with that. Yeah. Um, Anne Rice even said, because Anne Rice herself has said that she does not strongly identify with any gender. 
Yeah. Um, she herself has said she, because she's felt trapped in her own mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. at times too. So I w- I'm wondering how you yeah. perceive if that's a, if that is true, if that's how you view Claudia as well as being this kind of allegory for feeling trapped. No, self. absolutely. And being at somebody else's, uh, uh, whim she can't survive she can't go out alone because she's too small yeah um so yeah always having to be uh at the mercy of someone else yeah at the mercy and and i can relate to that in the lgbt thing uh always being at the mercy of the uh those who would um discriminate those sure. who would say you're not human enough to be married those yeah. you know your relationship isn't real. Right. So I totally, totally can totally see that. See yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was so interesting and made Claudia, because Claudia, it feels like all of her co- characters are mm-hmm. thought out and complex, but because Claudia is based on mouse, mm-hmm. there's yeah. a particular interest there in what she uses that character for in mm-hmm. the story. And I was just interested to hear yeah. your take on that. So yeah. awesome. Well, that's awesome. I need to return I, well before i return to the movie i'm going to read the book and then yeah. i i kind of want to do a deep dive into the book and then re wa- rewatch mm-hmm. the movie so um but thank you for yeah. sharing i think it'll be right up your alley i think that it would gothic be too. Thing. gothic horror is yeah. my thing so uh, and i and i really hope you like her vampires um i'm certain i will yeah i like i i am with you i like the more um regal gothic yeah. interpretation of a vampire I As like opposed. that too. And and that's something that always turns me off about more, some of the modern. A vampire doesn't have the need for sex. They're sensual. Right. You know. You don't need to see that. No. I don't need to see Edward break a freaking headboard. It's gross. gross. It's gross. And who, who fucking does that? No one. That's stupid. <laughs> don't fucking break my furniture. You know how much that cost? <laughs> that's a way to turn me off. Anyway. Oh, anyway. We digress. We digress. Greatly. Okay. So I did want to go into a couple more things. So after interview with a vampire. Yes. Um, so around this time, well, it was published in 1976. Yes. So kind of in the midst of Anne Rice writing this story, she develops obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm-hmm. It was because, wasn't it because of a lot of, uh, um, rejections yes yeah yes and her kind of um what she fixates on is germs and contamination and so she goes to therapy and tries you know eventually does you know get help for this ocd um but in the midst of uh, this she attends the squaw valley writers conference in 1974 Mm, and this is where she meets her literary agent phyllis seidel and Seidel helps this I found really cool. Seidel helps Anne Rice sell her rights to interview with the vampire and actually secures a twelve thousand dollar <laughs> yeah. advance for the hardcover rights to this book. Now, twelve thousand dollars, you know, this is one of the most popular books of all time. It's yeah. like, what is twelve thousand dollars <laughs> right. in the scheme of things? But you have to put this into the historical context. And at that time, when you're selling the rights to a book that, remember, this is 1974. The book isn't published till 1976. Right. So she's selling the rights two years ahead of, you know, the rights to books were going for about two grand. She sells them for $12,000. So obviously there's some, yeah. some hype around this book. Um, 
I, like we kind of briefly discussed, when the book comes out, there's weird negative reviews from a few of the reviewers, um, which kind of shuts Anne Rice down for a period of time. She leaves yeah. the vampire Yeah, realm. she does. Yeah. And so she goes into uh, writing historic novels. Mm -hmm. After this, she writes two historic fiction pieces, The Feast of All Saints mm -hmm. and Cry to Heaven. Yep. She writes three erotic novels. The first three she writes under that that one pseudonym you mentioned, A.N. Roclair. Yeah. Yeah. And they're kind of Sleeping Beauty themed. Yeah. So it's the claiming of Sleeping Beauty, Beauty's Punishment, and Beauty's Release. Beauty's Release. Oh, Lord help me. <laughs> um, and then two novels after that under the pseudonym Anne Rampling right. that you mentioned. Yeah. And that's Exit to Eden and Belinda. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, she says she returns to vampires. She's like, I'm going back into this. And this is where she picks up um, with the vampire Lestat and the Queen of the Damned. Oh, yes. So I know you wanted to talk about the Queen of the Damned. Yeah. Just I mean, just a little bit. That book sure. is so complex. Yeah, it is. But it is hands down my favorite of the Chronicles of the, all of them. Um, but I also love the vampire Lestat because it gives you an insight into how he became the uh, uh, the rogue poet, murdering mm -hmm. killer that he that he was. Yeah. Um, so it deals with with his his origin and basically how he comes to it is he's not given a choice. Yeah. He's turned into a vampire. And then his maker immediately kills it. It kills himself. So he's just left with this, and you know he and to learn it, the yeah. ropes on his own. Yeah, to learn it's it on like, his own. Oh, so, I mean, I think he did okay. He managed to survive, but um, but he wasn't given any levity or any. Uh, oh God, I don't even know the word. Doesn't even matter. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. The book is told from Lestat's point of view, whereas okay. Interview is told from Louis's point of view. Gotcha. Um, and and we learn a lot in this book about vampire culture and mm. about uh, who the who these beings are. Um, and this is where we learn that they cry tears of blood, oh. um, and that they can read minds. Like the gift comes to them in different ways, but. I, like Lestat can read thoughts, mm -hmm. um, and here's where we learn how that they, how they can be destroyed, which is by fire or by the sun. Okay. Unless it becomes super old, which comes into play much later, then they basically can't die. Um, and here, here too is where we get some insight into um, into the vampire. Uh, community that louis is born into mm -hmm. and claudia and uh it explains some of what happens later in interview with a vampire okay. so they talk about the rule that no vampire may kill another vampire that is the mortal sin mm. um only the the master of they call them covens covens of vampires mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. only the master of that coven can make that determination okay over the life and death of another vampire um and you're not allowed, I mean, by by law, to reveal your true nature to a mortal. Okay. Um, which then we will, you go down that road when you learn, you know, when, when you think back to Interview with a Vampire, when Louis tells his story to a reporter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there you go. There you go. Um, you can't tell them the story and then allow them to live, but he's telling his story to, you know. To a reporter that's going to. To a reporter that's going to, yeah, do something. Blast it out. Exactly. 
Um, so it it gives you a good insight. That book gives you a good insight into this whole world. Yeah. Um, and then next would be The Queen of the Damned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one, that one had a lot of legs out of the gate. Uh, it was selected as the Literary Guild of America. It was one of their main selections. Okay. Which helped it. That was in 1988. Um, which helped it reach number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And yeah. it was there for four months. Yeah, that was was like the critically well-received mm-hmm. book. Um, and this book, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it. I really want I really want people to read this book. Yeah. Um, but this brings in a host of of new characters Mm -hmm. and you learn about the origins of the vampire yeah um all together and you know you learn about these powerful witches yeah maharit and mccare yeah um and ever all these horrific things that they went through and how that led to this curse of of the king and queen enkiel and akasha Mm -hmm. and then just everything that that goes on from there and um akasha i love i she is brutal she is a brutal character um but you learn uh one of the vampires marius is taking care of the marbleized enkiel and akasha Mm -hmm. and the fear is is if they are destroyed it will destroy all of the vampires but I highly recommend, um, I recommend that this book, I mean, and frankly, you could probably read them in that order. Queen of the Damned first, and then uh, Lestat, and then Interview. Maybe read them in reverse order. I, I don't know. You maybe think you not. could, maybe? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Um, just from the historical uh, perspective. Perspective, yeah. yeah. But... Um, my God, that book is so good. I just... I am so excited to dive yeah. in. You're describing these as like, oh my gosh, I need to yeah. I need to read this. The world she created, um, the imagination. Oh my God. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll go ahead and talk just briefly then about the movie Queen of the Damned. Yes, please. Which is a pile of trash. You think so? It is okay. a pile of trash. Okay, I have to say, I, I've never read the book, but I like the movie. Stop. I loved Aaliyah. I, 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 I'm okay, a big well, Aaliyah. Aka- okay. Aaliyah plays Akasha. Fine. Okay. So I love that. I love Aaliyah as Akasha. I think she does a wonderful job. Okay, fine. So, but the movie is shit. Okay. And I'm sorry. I'm not going to mince words about it. The movie is shit. And Anne Rice <laughs> even said they mutilated. Yeah, I was going to say Anne Rice to say, but because didn't they try to mash up? The they vampire, did. The vampire and, and they and, fucked up the entire mythology, yeah. ma- making some vampires who you know did this do that yeah and the makers of each other and oh don't even get me started well i um, think that that is a thing i have when you're making a movie out of a book you have to pay respects to the storyline you can't you know if you're making your own th- movie yeah do what you want but yeah if you're making a movie out of a book that's you, called queen of the damn there yeah. are expectations yeah you have to play you have to pay respects to the the um, created story there. you do and, and really they it's like they played zero played paid paid hey iron city (laughs) they they paid zero attention to that and just did what they wanted and it was it was actually quite a it was offensive but um and i thought Stuart townsend was a shitty listat but and i write this right in my notes Aaliyah is fucking majestic she, she saves. Is, she kind of saves the movie a little bit. She is Akasha. <laughs> yeah, she saves the movie. She was 
so good. Um, but and I don't know if you know this, but during the filming of this, she actually died in a plane crash, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and her brother did the voiceovers, really? the, the rest of the voiceovers for her, um, her spoken scenes. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh wow! I did not know that. Yeah, that, that gave me chills. Yeah, um, but she she was freaking incredible. That's Absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. In, in my mind, it's like her her interpretation of Akasha was ripped exactly out of my imagination so it's like take that interpretation and then rework the whole other mm-hmm. part of the movie yeah yeah make it right <laughs> yeah why didn't yeah, they just yeah. invest right. a little money and do right. a trilogy do a sure. and then do Queen really yeah really why not because interview with the vampire was well received did inter- interview came out first because mm-hmm. queen of the damned is an early aughts maybe right 2000s i believe so yeah and and interview was nine interview was 90s, 90s. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so they, co- I mean, there's no reason they couldn't They're, have done right. two movies. But I was so mad about that movie. Can I, can I say something that's going to be controversial? Yes. Two things made me like that movie. Aaliyah. Yes. The soundtrack. I am. Okay. A, I'm a sucker for that weird. Quintonymous describes it <laughs> as. Really weird 90s, early 2000s, heavy bass vampire rock. I am going to agree with you. I do like the soundtrack. It's a good soundtrack. It is a good soundtrack. And it really was the kind of music I thought Lestat would make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that whole notion of a uh, an electronic violin. Mm-hmm. Oh, love that. That's great. Um, but yeah, okay, so I will give, I will grant that. You will grant that. Yeah, that is, the that, soundtrack okay. was good. That's all I need. That's mm-hmm. all I need. Because those are really the two memorable things about the movie <laughs> and why I would classify it as I liked it. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's good. Good. Um, so, a little more history after Queen of the Damned. Yep, hit it. Uh, she moves back to New Orleans mm-hmm. in 1988. Um, and she kind of continues writing on the Vampire Chronicles because mm-hmm. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, there are like 10 books in that series. Yeah, you want to hear what they are? Before yeah, Before you go, finish go, the go, go, Okay, go. so uh, Queen of the Dam, then we got Tale of the Body Thief. Okay. Memnock the Devil, which blew my mind. Uh, the Vampire Armand, so Armand's mm-hmm. backstory. Merrick, which is a crossover with the Mayfair Witches. Okay. Uh, Blood and Gold, Blackwood Farm, and Blood Canticle, which are also crossovers with the Witch, uh, the Mayfair Witches. Prince Lestat, Prince Lestat in the Realms of Atlantis, and Blood Communion. And I think Blood Communion was the last one, and it was 2016. That was recent, fairly recent. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. So she continues writing on those books, okay. and I need to read through them. You might also like the Mayfair Witches. I know I would. Yeah. I know I would. We're we are going to have to consider doing a book club on Anne Rice. On Anne Rice. I, I think that's... That, that needs to be a consideration. Um... Okay, so she writes the Vampire Chronicles. She writes the I have down the Mayfair Witches trilogy. Um, then in the early two thousand, she moves back to she moves back to California, mm-hmm. uh, Rancho Mirage, California, mm-hmm. and begins re- writing historical religious fiction. Yes. So if we remember, she was raised Irish Catholic. Yep, um, and she was. She was really religious, and then she left religion and became atheist, and then, then she, she rejoined the it. church. Yeah. yeah, so there's interesting history there. But she begins writing historical religious fiction centering on the life of Christ. I read um, I read one or two of those, and they were interesting. 
well, Christ right. the Lord. Yeah. And what was the se- the second one? Did it say? I can't oh, remember the name of the second one. I didn't one. write it down. Um, they were fascinating. And they are fascinating. And the reason I find, well, I, I can't speak to that, but I from what I read, they were really interesting concepts because from what I found, her kind of, um, when she returns to the church, so she still to this day considers herself a follower of Christ. Yes. She hates organized religion. Wait, I think that that's common with a lot of people. That's common with so many that's people. That's kind of where I am. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And she cites the church's kind of issues, stances on social issues, particularly right. LGBTQ, mm-hmm. you know, rights and abortion rights. Those right. are the two things she cites. It's like, what the hell is, what are you talking about here? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how, you know, she's part of it, not part of it, part of it, not part of it. And it feels like those are her biggest issues with the, right. the church overall. Um, and, and when she broke with the church, officially she broke breaks with the church in 2010. She she like wrote it on Facebook that she was no longer a Christian. <laughs> right. Like, I she, remember that actually. She was yeah. very um, public about everything. Um, later in life, she does experience um, some trauma. Her husband, Stan, passes of brain cancer when he's just 60 years old um and um yeah so that that's another thing that influences her as well lots of tragedy in her life and things Mm -hmm. like that um kind of some more recent things uh, about Anne rice in 2020 um amc acquired the rights to the vampire chronicles and i read that yeah and the lives of the mayfair witches both um and it is said that I don't believe they've started production on anything. I could be wrong about that. But if when they do, if and when they do, Anne and her son Christopher will serve as executive producers of projects. So that's great. To guide them properly. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, You've already mentioned that her work has been in comics and manga. Yeah. Um, What I found, one of the more interesting things that I found uh, about her take on her work is one of the things that she's not a super fan of at least she wasn't a super fan of was fan fiction yeah about her work there are mountains of it <laughs> literal mountains <laughs> literal mountains i think she's come around to it more recently i think her reason for being against it initially was she was worried that if she were ever to happen upon it, it would influence her sure. own writing. That makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. But now she's kind of come out and said, well, <laughs> that's not really how it works. And I realize that now, so it's kind yeah. of easy to avoid. So I don't really care now mm-hmm. kind of thing, you know. And it, she's very supportive of young writers. Mm-hmm. So she's like, however you get influenced, if it's taking an existing character and making a new story for them, if that influences your creative brain, do then it. Do you it. know, she's she's very supportive. A, f- a tidbit I found on her website that I thought was really cool was even though most of her life has been sent- spent in California, yeah. she considers New Orleans her home. Yeah. And that's really where a lot of her work is, is set. And I think that's really cool. Um, and she has authored over 30 novels. Which I thought yeah. was, you know, that's a pretty decent amount of novels. It is. Um, that that's really the history I found of Anne Rice. I did yeah. a little digging into her, her work, um, and just some fun quips about her. One of the things that, like I said, she's really encouraging of young writers. And one of the things that I found, a, a quote I found of hers that I love, 
It says, if you won't write the classics of tomorrow, well, we will not have any. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So she's like very encouraging of people being creative. Her advice to young writers is write. (laughs) Write. And then write again and keep writing. Yeah. (laughs) Just keep writing until something cohesive and coherent comes out. Um, You mentioned Twilight. And I found something fun. About Anne Rice and Twilight. Okay, do tell. That I want to talk about. So I guess her and... St- I didn't know this, but her and Stephanie Meyer had like a back and forth like quarrel, fight, if you will. You know, that sounds familiar, but I don't I don't think I paid attention. Yeah, like Anne, uh, Stephanie Meyer may have said yuck in response to Anne Rice's depiction of the vampire. Do you want my head to pop <laughs> off? In your basement. You're going to have to clean the brain off the wall. Yeah, yeah. And then Anne Rice, who I think brings up the much better, the much better (laughs) argument here. Um, She says that it, I mean, I'm summarizing. This is not exactly what she says. But she basically says how unimaginative immortals go to high school. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was sitting there thinking about that. And I was like, I, like, Twilight, we, we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. I think in the last episode, we talked about, you know, I, wa- I read Twilight yeah, when sure. I was in high school. And, and uh, it totally made sense. Like, oh, it's overcast in Washington. Yeah, they can be around all the time. And like, like the yeah. very, it's very elementary logic. Um, yeah, ve- I mean, very, very, ele- very elementary logic. <laughs> but when you really think about it, why? Yeah, I'm or- immortal. And I'm going to choose to go to fucking chemistry. Yeah. No. To fit in in this community. No. No. You're never going to do that. You're going to be in Prague. You're going to be... Traveling the world. Traveling the world. Eating people and taking names. No. (laughs) You are not going to be in Forks, Washington at a fucking high school. You know, I mean, and yes, I agree with that. It's completely ordinary. But... At the same time, she found a formula and became a zillionaire. So that's the thing. She more did. More power to her. People, she did. Kids, re- it resonated and it worked. She did. So there's she, that. She did. I, I, I will say she did. There's that. She capitalized on that moment. But I thought it was. I thought that was just a funny. Um, Stephanie Meyer needs to watch her mouth though. Yuck. Yuck. I don't even remember why she called it yuck. I think it was like the sexual nature. I don't remember. Oh, yes, it was because Stephanie Meyer was very like, um, I forget how this article described her, but she she does not. Okay, now that I'm saying that out loud, the article described it as like Stephanie Meyer does not like sexually explicit types of works. But then the fucking breaking of the headboard is weird. And also, I never heard her speak out against Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a fucking erotica novel based on her novels. What? Fifty Shades of Grey is based on Twilight. What? Yeah. And that's like as erotica as they go, mainstream erotica. I'm going to (laughs) vomit. Anyway, um, a couple other interesting <laughs> quips that You're I found. You're on thin ice. I'm they better thin. be good ones. They better be good ones. <laughs> uh, Anne Rice's college mentors. So when she was in college, they discouraged her from writing genre fiction because Ugh. they said it wasn't serious writing. Oh, come on. Yeah. 
Can you believe that? So antiquated. But it was whatever, the 60s, 70s. Yeah, it was, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and this is something I need to get your perspective on. The last quip I will say. Uh, Anne Rice says that the vampire is the star of the supernatural pantheon and does not believe zombies belong there. Why? What is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) And I knew that would piss you off, so I brought that up tonight. I brought that up. I just think that is... um Opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one and everyone thinks everyone else stinks. That's my answer. I think that's really good. <laughs> um, You're in big trouble. Yeah, I know. I brought up a lot of, I brought up a lot of sore subjects tonight. Um, <laughs> I understand that. But that's it for my quips. That's all I, that's all I had. That's all I had. Okay, that's fine. And then I'm just gonna just sort of wind us down and just um, just talk about you know we talked about the the mountains of fan fiction mm-hmm. the cosplay events and things like that and I tried to find there used to be uh, a vampire Lestat fan club and they would have a ball oh. every year in New Orleans but I couldn't find anything about that now I don't I'm not entirely sure it's still a thing but I always wanted but to how go fun with that yeah be? everybody dressed up you know like vampires I thought that'd be super awesome also if you ever go to New Orleans, um, there is a secret vampire speakeasy <gasps> and you have to know where to go to get the password to be able to go to it. Yeah. Um, but all, all I'll say is the boutique du vampire mm-hmm. is an awesome shop and you should check it out. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say. Um, we, we tracked it down and but didn't go we got sidetracked by something else and i think it was some dude dressed as a hand grenade handing out grain alcohol shots or some nonsense so <laughs> i, I, I got can't distracted by I, the grain by the by the the dude dressed as a hand grenade ha- passing out hand grenade shaped beverages wow i mean don't don't just don't but i will i want to give a shout out to the boutique du vampire and i hope they're doing okay cuz that is a super cool um it's a super cool little uh, local shop Awesome. Handmade, handmade goodies. Awesome. Um, super cool. Awesome. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, she's the master. She's master. the master of the vampire. Well, I can certainly say after talking it out with you, I'm excited to dive into her work. Yes. Because I'm that. excited to, to watch you dive into it. Yeah. Because I, I want to know, I want to have a follow-up conversation with you. Yeah, for sure. Um, and maybe, you know what, I haven't read The Witches. Oh, uh, I've read fun. the crossovers, but I've not read uh, uh, Taltos and uh, I did read Merrick, but um, Taltos and oh my God, well, whatever they are, the, the the three of the Mayfair witches. Yeah. Maybe I'll read those and then we can talk about those because I know how the witch genre is close to your heart. So, oh, for sure. That'd, uh, that'd be fun. That'd be really cool. That'd be so, fun. All right. Shall we? Oh, what the hell? What the hell? What the hell? Hit it. Uh, I kept it with a vampire theme. Um. And did you know they excavated some mysterious vampire burials in Poland? What? Yes. Okay. So they found these graves in Poland, um, and they were ver- they were buried in a very interesting sort of way. Uh, and they weren't quite sure what was going on, so they had to do some tests, and they mm-hmm. finally got some answers. So, eventually, essentially, how these how these folks were buried 
is they found them with these kinds of sickles around their necks. And some of them had rocks in there shoved into their mouths. They found this kind of whole site with these people buried in this similar way. Um, and they were like, what the hell is this about? And so they did a little bit more digging and, and investigation and it turns out um, that this was a common practice to ensure that a corpse would not reanimate. Tell me about the rocks. And become that, a vampire. Did they tell you why the rocks? Just so that, that it was familiar. in their mouth so they couldn't bite. Ah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, wow. Yeah. So how, how old were the cemeteries? That's the article doesn't say. I would love it if it was still happening now. You know, it, it's very interesting because I think I've mentioned I've t- I took a class in Slavic, um, Eastern European kind of traditions, mm-hmm. on, and, and it was heavily based in vampire traditions. And that was a common practice in Eastern Europe was putting um, objects in mouths of corpses and things like that to okay. ensure that the the corpse wouldn't become a vampire after after death. Oh, they thought that, that, that was, <laughs> they thought that was a thing. Yeah. Um, and what was really happening was that a lot of these folks were dying of just disease, mm-hmm. uh, mass disease in the areas. They thought that it was vampirism, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. It was just kind of these mass disease. A lot of these diseases that were happening, the reason they thought it was vampirism is blood would you know, come out of pores, mm-hmm. pull in mouths, things like that. Um, and they thought that was a sign of a vampire, right? But mm-hmm. it was just a mark of the disease that was going on, the plagues that were going on at the time. Um, so that when you saw someone uh, deceased doing that, you would shove a rock in their mouth and bury them <laughs> underground because you don't want them biting anyone else. Fair enough. Um, kind of thing. So they found this entire grave site in Poland mm-hmm. with a bunch of these kinds of skeletons with rocks in their mouths and sickles around their necks. And, and they realized that this is what the practice was kind of... Um, about they they thought that they had been vampires so um another interesting tidbit is that uh in in these kinds of ancient societies you are at risk of being a vampire if you were unbaptized you died a violent death or you were the first one killed in an epidemic or were an outsider from another locale you really? were at high risk of being a vampire and you were more likely to be buried in this sort of way. So I thought that was super interesting. I don't want to go too much in depth on that thing because I think Anzemic and I have decided that we're going to end up doing an entire season on vampires. Yeah. And so these kinds of traditions are definitely going to warrant an episode in and of themselves. But I thought that was cool that they <laughs> recently found a, a full Polish cemetery full of these kinds of corpses. That is, that is chilling and cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> My what the hell is short and um, not nearly as impressive as that. Yeah. However, um, I'll, I'll just leave this sentence here. I have one of Anne Rice's Mardi Gras hats. What? Yeah. A friend of mine. Uh, and I don't remember. He lives in Palm Springs. And I don't remember if it was at, a, at one of her homes there mm-hmm. or if he was in New Orleans. Mm. But he said, oh, my God, Anne Rice is having a yard sale. And I said, what? And my other friend said, what? We're like, get us some stuff. So yes. he bought us some stuff from Anne Rice's yard sale. And I got um, one of her sparkly gold um, Mardi Gras hats. And I have a couple of rolled up uh, paintings. 
Oh, yeah, I, I've been not worth probably anything, but a couple of rolled up paintings but from just knowing they're house. from her and they're house. religious paintings. Yeah, which so um, what well, I'll take some pictures of those Please. and you can put them on the Instagram. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, but yeah, they're in a they're in a bag in my my art room. Oh, that's so fun. But yeah, I thought that was so cool. That's One of so Anne Rice's cool. Mardi Gras hats. That is so cool. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I love that she had a yard sale. I love that. All right. That's that. That's that. Well, thank you, horror nerds. Yeah. For sticking in there with us tonight and learning a little bit more about the Queen of the Dam. Yeah. Queen of the Dam. And if you love Anne Rice, tell us why. I'd love that. Yeah. Tell yeah. us why. Tell us what your favorite work of Anne Rice's is. Mm-hmm. If we didn't talk about it tonight, especially because I definitely want to dive in. Yeah. We only did a, a tipo the iceberg yes. of her work. So. Exactly. Exactly. So you can get in touch with us and share everything you want to share at info at the We'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, follow along with us on Instagram at the horror salon. We've always got some fun stuff going up there. And then we really encourage you to visit our website. It's thehorrorsalon.com. We put up really cool show notes after all of these episodes that just feature the links um, from what we've talked about Mm -hmm. to the Pazuzis to the what the (laughs) hells. um, And it allows you to really dive down the rabbit hole yourself. So we encourage you to visit thehorrorsalon.com and check that out and dive in for yourself. And then last but certainly not least, if you are enjoying this podcast, we would really love it if you would subscribe wherever you listen in. And we'd also love it if you'd share with a friend. Um, we're trying to extend our horror community and we would love it um, to bring some more horror nerds on board with mm-hmm. us. Um, also, if you wouldn't mind giving us a like, review, comment, anything mm-hmm. helps us get in front of more horror nerds. Yeah. And tell us what you want to hear about. Yeah. We'd love to know. Yeah. If there's something you want us to talk about, we'll do it. We'll do it. Exactly. We are always looking for new fun content to put up for you guys. So having it from your mouths would be wonderful. So with that, whoa, 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 whoa. the candle is out. The Pazoo's is most definitely emptied. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, horror nerds, for tuning in. I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. We'll catch you next time at the Horror Salon, where we curate the strange and unusual. Until dawn, do us part and zombies do belong in the hierarchy. Monsters, it's the witch and Anne Demick. Music for this episode is Rage by the 126ers.
Check out our website for show notes and links to some cool extras. Later, nerds.